In the last couple of weeks, we have been privileged to engage with a number of Afghan families that have relocated here in our Lower Mainland. In the summer of 2021, the United States moved towards the completion of its withdrawal from their country. And in the wake of their departure, Afghanistan would become a nation ruled by the Islamic fundamental group with ties to Al-Qaeda known as the Taliban. Now, fearing their terror and repressive rule, not only foreigners, but thousands of Afghans sought to escape their country and fled to the airports only to find a logjam of people helplessly jostling for the same escape. You may have seen it, crowds of people shut out from the airport gates, having no opportunity, no access to the freedom they long for. And just as it is hard for us to grasp the predicament of the Afghan people, especially the Christians in a Muslim-run country, so it is difficult to grasp the predicament of our lives outside of a relationship with God. If you are a Christ follower, you live with privileges and benefits that are so easy to take for granted with little comprehension of what it would be like not to have them. Did you say a prayer this week? Did you talk to God? What if that wasn't possible? How often have I prayed with little regard for how profound that is and the backstory that made it available to me? Join me in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. As we dive in, the listeners are presented with a reminder of their privileged status in Jesus Christ. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. The people to whom this is written would understand the ramifications of what they are reminded of here in ways we have to work at. The high priest was one who represented the people to God. Jewish Christians were familiar with that. Under the old covenant, you didn't just walk into God's presence. Yo, here, Tim here. They knew God is holy. He is completely other. Their nation's history and covenants and sacrifices all pointed to this. Their sin was a barrier to God, a, a cause for no access. And it was only through sacrifice that one person, the high priest, could come into God's most holy presence once a year on their behalf to make atonement for their sins. And as he did so, the priest, by God's command, wore a turban on his head that had a golden plate on its front with the engraving, holy to the Lord. They get it. It's a scary thing to come into the presence of God. Back up a couple of verses, we're all reminded of this and the need to walk in obedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. If we're honest, we know the mixture of our thoughts and intentions, some good, some not so much. We'd be embarrassed if there was a public video of the pop-ups of what we are sometimes thinking and the record of what we sometimes do. But God sees everything. He sees the unseen. And so there's this sense of, of hopelessness in light of God's holiness. In Romans chapter 3, as it quotes the Psalms and Proverbs, we are told there is no one righteous. Really, no one understands. No one seeks God. And we have nothing to say to excuse ourselves. Every mouth will be stopped and the whole world, without exception, held accountable to God. See the picture of the Afghans stranded outside the airports. Do not enter. And so see yourself without Christ. 
exposed before him who is holy and who sees your every thought and motive. We have no right to access. There's only the prospect of a looming judgment, except for one thing, Jesus, our great high priest, when you believe in him. In Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, we have just seen how God in the past led his people by a man named Moses to a promised land, a new country, but many failed to enter because of their unbelief. We have the opportunity to believe and get it all. The greatest of all tragedies would be to turn your back on what is in front of you with all its privileges and walk away from it. This is the temptation of the people being written to. This is the temptation we can find ourselves in today. And you've got to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Why should we hold fast to our confession, stay true to our belief in God regardless of circumstances? Because Jesus is your great high priest. And put it, to put it more in today's language, Jesus is your great representative. He can represent you to God. We couldn't approach God. We needed grace. And in Jesus Christ, God gave it. How great this grace is, how great Jesus is as our representative is the subject of this section of scripture. Bullet point after bullet point, the author lays it out for us so we will be bolstered in our confidence in God. As we go through this, if you are a believer, remember this is the person who is for you. Let's begin. First, Jesus is victorious. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. It is nice when you're in a predicament and someone wants to help you. There have been times when I've stopped for a vehicle that's pulled over and they've been stuck in the snow or they have a mechanical breakdown, but their situation is beyond my ability to help. Maybe they thought it was nice that I pulled over and checked up on them, but it was, I mean, other than encouragement, you know, pretty well useless. The author to the Hebrews wants us to know right away that the representative that they have in Jesus is one who has conquered sin and death and shown it to be so by rising from the dead and entering into the very presence of God. Through the heavens is a way of expressing the place where God lives. He can help. Jesus is able to access God when we could not. Secondly, Jesus is the Son of God. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. I mean, of course, we know this, right? But think what this means for us. Jesus is family with God. Hey, if I wanted to have a conversation with an elite of society, an untouchable, it would make a great difference if I have a relationship with that person's son. If the son wanted me to meet his dad, you can be sure that all the gatekeepers and protectors would make allowance for that to happen. Jesus is God's son, family with God. This completely changes the possibility of our access to God. Thirdly, Jesus shared in our experience. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is family with God. Jesus is also family with us. And the gap between that, which is divine in our humanity, is it's incomprehensible to us. But in Jesus, divinity and humanity are brought together. There have often been beliefs about Jesus regarding his divinity or humanity that the church is considered to be heretical. To get the real Jesus, you have to have both. 
and both in the right way. Fully God, fully man. The theological term for this became known as the hypostatic union. Two distinct natures in one person. Not a blending of the two natures into a third nature, but the coexistence of divinity and humanity in one person. Wayne House, in his book about finding the real Jesus, says everything that is true of the Son's human and divine natures is integral to his person. Here's what that means. House says that when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, Jesus did not say, before Abraham was, my divine nature existed. Jesus talks about anything that is true of either his divine or human nature as being true of him. Whatever either nature experienced is something he experienced. Whatever can be said of one nature or the other doing can be said of the person of Christ doing. This helps us to understand how he shares in our experience as a high priest. God cannot be tempted with evil, but in his humanity, Jesus was tempted in every way. He wasn't tempted in exactly the same circumstances as you might be. He, like, he wasn't tempted to access porn on a cell phone, but the core of his temptations in his humanity would be the same as ours. And because he never gave in, he experienced temptation to its fullest strength. Having shared in our experience, he gets us. He's not a representative that is out of touch, but he purposefully shared in the human experience that we have of temptation, pain, betrayal, suffering, making him really able to sympathize with, with how hard it is sometimes for us to live out our faith in the midst of trials and difficulties. Fourth, Jesus is sinless. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Psalm 24 asks the question, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? And then it answers beginning with, he that has clean hands and a pure heart. While Romans has told us none of us will qualify for that, there is one who will. Jesus was tempted but remained sinless. And this will be developed further in Hebrews, but we are given a glimpse here to show us how superior he is to any priest of the past. A priest in the past was obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. But Jesus had no need to do so. He could rightfully enter into God's presence on our behalf without sacrifice. And not only that, because he was sinless, he was himself qualified to be the sacrifice for sin once and for all. Jesus is appointed, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Maybe you've been in a group setting when someone who has a bent towards leadership starts to take command, but then there's another or others who resent their leadership because they don't like the direction or they have a bent to lead too. So they say something like, who made you in charge? When it comes to being a representative for God's people as the high priest, this is not something you are to choose for yourself. By God's command, you had to be appointed. 
There's a story in Chronicles of the Jewish king Uzziah who takes upon himself the role of a priest. It does not go well. Here's an excerpt. But when he, Uzziah, was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. It says, Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priests, Leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried out to go out because the Lord had struck him. You don't just take on the role of a priest. So whom did God choose to be priest for us? Well, the writer to the Hebrews quotes Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 to show us that this was God's plan all along. It's the Son of God, Jesus. Another reason why to reject Jesus is to reject God. There's no other way to God. You are without a representative. You, th you think you can walk in by yourself? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is God's chosen representative, and by faith, he is that for you. He can be that for you. Do you see the privilege? Jesus is the eternal high priest. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Well, we'll have opportunity to learn more about this mysterious character called Melchizedek who foreshadowed Jesus. But for now, let's take what the psalmist clearly says about the time frame of Jesus' priesthood. It is eternal, forever. This does matter. Hey, if you've ever had to negotiate the red tape of government, it makes such a difference to have someone on the inside acting on your behalf to see it through. A while back, I, I had to settle an estate matter in the U.S., and it became clear that we did not have the appropriate documentation, and to do so was going to be a long, arduous process. So it would have been a nightmare, except we found favor with the person of authority who carried it through for us. But what if you have an advocate making promise to you today, but he or she isn't there to see it through tomorrow? We're so used to people letting us down. What happens when the advocate you've trusted and leaves their position and is no longer there for you? This is the confidence we have in Jesus. He'll be there today. What he promises, he will be there to carry out tomorrow and the next year, your whole life, and, if, and for your kids if you have them your grandkids, your great-grandkids, forever. Seven, Jesus was prayerful, reverent, and obedient. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. As people hear these verses, what most often comes to mind is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege to be in Israel, and of all the places that I went to, it was there in the site of Mount Olives, where they supposed the Garden of Gethsemane to be, that I was most impacted. Somewhere on those grounds, Jesus had to do battle in his flesh. 
He was tempted to avoid suffering just as the Hebrews were, as we ourselves often are. And the Gospels record for us some of that struggle with the cross looming and the sinless Holy Christ anticipating, taking on himself the sins of the world. We see Jesus in agony, his sweat becoming like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus praying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As I stood in that place amidst all the tourism around me, I, I was so deeply moved. It struck me that there in the garden is where the battle was won. My salvation and the salvation of the whole world, your salvation, depended on what happened there in that place at a particular moment in time. Once Jesus reverently surrendered himself to the Father's will, resurrection and victory were inevitable. He was sinless. Death wouldn't be able to hold him. The question was, would he do it? Would he obey and suffer on our behalf? Would he go to the cross? What if he hadn't? Jesus' prayerfulness, reverence, and obedience was the pathway to his priesthood and the means and model for our, our salvation. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, it says, Hebrews 5, 9. Separated from God, we needed grace. Through his son, Jesus Christ, God gave grace. And now in this passage, the writer has told us how to access, how to receive this grace. We want to finish there. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the Old Testament, we are shown that to approach royalty was to put yourself in potential peril. You don't just access the king at your initiative. Generally, when you approach the throne, you only do so when you are invited. In the book of Esther, her uncle Mordecai is urging her to approach the king and plead for their people, but Esther proclaims, all the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces, like everybody knows that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law, you'll be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out, the golden scepter. As we understand God as the only holy ruler of the universe to whom nothing is hidden, conscious of our sin, it is amazing to think that we can just walk into God's presence at our initiative. And more mind-blowing that by God's direction, we should do so with boldness. This is the privilege of the believer because you have a representative. His name is Jesus. He has worked all this for you. His victory, his incarnation, his appointment, his obedient sacrifice is for you. You have access. You can be confident of this. It is not only possible. This is what God wants and what he planned all along. Of course we do this with reverence and worship appropriate to, to a holy God, but with confidence we can draw near because it says we are approaching a throne of grace. Grace unmerited favor. Sometimes God's throne can be seen as a throne of judgment, condemnation. Maybe this is what you have as a default in your mind. It is what we deserve. But for those who trust in God, it is called the throne of grace. So get how amazing this is. On the one hand, you have Jesus, the Son of God, representing you to God the Father for your good, and on the other hand, you have the Father whose disposition 
is to grant favor to you. Grace. Talk about a situation tilted in your favor. So draw near. This is the language of prayer. Don't go to God only as a last resort when you've exhausted all other avenues. Talk to him first. Pray to him first. What if we made these four words our default? Let's pray about this. Then tell him about your situation. Your representative understands your circumstance. Where you failed and sinned against God, you'll get mercy, meaning you don't get the judgment you deserve. And where you need God's help, you'll get grace, meaning you'll get the help you deserve, you don't deserve, because that is the kind of God we are coming to. In this passage, we are exhorted to hold fast to our confession, and it is conveyed to us that we are to obey. These are two things of supreme importance. Stay, stay committed to Jesus as the focal point of your life. And what he instructs you to do in his word, do it. The context of Hebrews is that there are times when that is difficult for them. And God knows it can be difficult sometimes for you and me. But there is grace, a gift, an undeserved enablement, help in time of need, ready and waiting for you. Jesus, your great high priest, has made the way with confidence. Draw near with him to God. Perhaps you're watching today and you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus. And I hope you can see how much God is for you and the provision he has made for you by giving his son, Jesus. He who was God became one of us so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we could be restored in our relationship with God. And as you heard today, gifted with free access to our heavenly father, you can ask him today to be the God of your life and the one you are willing to follow. You can repeat after me or say something like this in your own words. This is found on our website when you just click the Follow Jesus button. Pray in this way. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. I admit that I have sinned against God and I'm separated from him. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins in order to bring me back to God. I put my trust in you and ask you to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Fill me with your spirit and make me the person you created me to be. Amen. If you are watching today and you do have a relationship with God through Jesus, I hope that you have been encouraged to know what a great representative we have in Christ, our great high priest. It would be a shame not to respond to God's invitation to draw near. Why don't you take a moment right now Bring before him the thing or things that you are concerned about the most, but also pray that Jesus would become your main concern. And then as you experience situations throughout the week, why not try those four words that remind us of our access? Let's pray about this. And as you do that, I can't wait to hear your stories of God's grace in response.